right, we get to keep trucking along here in the book of Romans, chapter 7. I think I'll have light on me here in a second. There we go. All right. Um, hey, morning. Is everybody ready? All right, good, because I am, and I love it when we're all ready together, and, uh, and we're going to jump into this. We're in a series called Alive in Christ. We're going through the book of Romans, and uh, we're taking a long journey through it. It's not going to be till the end of August that we get all the way through, and um, we, leading up to Easter, we're chapters one through five. Last week, we jumped into this new part of the series um, into um, chapter six through eight, and we're going to dig into this for about five weeks. Uh, in this part of the series that we're digging into. So if you have your Bibles, I always say what? Bring your Bibles, right? You're like, bring my what? Bring your Bibles uh, with you. Open them up. If you want to download a Bible app, there's lots of them. Um, one that we use a lot around here is called Version, the Bible app. Um, and, uh, and you can get there into Romans chapter 7. Uh, we'll get there in just a minute. Now, if, if you're new to New Hope, I say thank you for coming and joining us. Um, we want to help you on the journey of getting closer to God and reading your own Bible, that kind of stuff. And so every series, we create this. It's our series guide. And those of you who are regulars, you know I say this every Sunday. And so I may not be talking to you. I'm talking to the person who hasn't heard this yet, all right? And so, um, so we want to create a way for you to spend time with God. And on this, there's a method of reading the Bible each day, talking to God in prayer each day, and how to do that. It's really easy. On the other side, there's little check boxes with like parts of the passage to read, and so that it tells you what to read. There's five um, days that you can uh, check off as you read through the the book or the chapter that we're reading through leading up to Sunday. And, um, and so, yeah, grab one of these on, on your way out or go to our website or the app. It's all in there, digital, and we want to make it easy for you to get into God's Word and spend that time. But what we've learned so far is actually wrapped up in our memory verse, because on that also we want to remember God's Word, because we want to hide God's Word in our minds, right, in our heads, so that it moves down to our, what, our hearts, that turns into something with our hands. They're all H's, all right? So easy to remember, right? Our head, to our heart, to our hands. Like, we want to be transformed by God's Word and let Him, you know, use it to transform us. And this is what we've learned so far. Honestly, this verse sums up the first, you know, five chapters. So we're going to read this out loud together. Is everybody ready? Yeah. This side's ready. Is it, are you guys ready? Yeah. We have a little comfort. You guys ready? Yeah. This side ready? Yeah. All right, we're going to have a game. All right, so here we go. Let's read it out loud. Here we go. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is, this is what we're talking about, right? The wages of sin, meaning sin costs something. There's a debt to be paid for your sin. And that debt is death. Something has to die to pay for your sin. And I'm just, to be honest with you, I don't want to have to die for my own sins. And the reality is I can't pay for my own sins by my own death. Sin separates us from God and his holiness. But here's the good news. But the gift of God meaning God wants to give you a gift. It's right there. The package is it's wrapped. It's ready. He has already done everything for it and for you to have eternal life. How? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what we learned, right? We had that imagery of the Grand Canyon that we walked through leading up through Easter, where there's a chasm between us on one side of the Grand Canyon and God and his holiness and perfection on the other, and it's, it's our sin. And we can't get good enough to jump across that canyon to get to God's perfect holiness. We can't get there in our best day. We can't get there. And so Jesus became the bridge for us. He made the way. He cleared the path so that we were right with God. He makes us right with God. God's righteousness deposited into our account. Christ paying our debt of sin is no longer debt. It's paid for. We're forgiven. That's the gift of Jesus. That's the gift of God for us so that we can have a relationship 
with the holy and perfect God. Isn't God a good God? Like today, we're going we're gonna to learn more about this good God, okay, and, and what he's done for us, okay? So, so this is where we've been. This is the heartbeat of what we're talking about, which this is the gospel. I mean, this is why we're here. This is why we exist. Um, and, uh, and we're going to keep understanding it more and more today. So we're going to read now in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Um, I'm going to kind of pick a little bit through it as we walk through the, the message this morning. But I would like for us to, to uh, read this passage. So this is what we do at New Hope. If you want to stand with me, uh, we stand in honor when we read God's Word together. So if you can stand, I will, uh, I'll be reading this passage. You can have your Bible open, reading it in the version that you have um, as well. But I'm just going to be reading verses 14 through 25. And I have not fumbled any of these words so far. And you're going to understand why that's a miracle, all right? So here we go. So what it says. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. But if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sin nature, my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Woo! I got through all the doo-doos. All right. Holy Spirit of God, we know that your word does not return void. It goes out, you accomplish what you want with it. And this morning, Holy Spirit, would you teach us, would you open our eyes, our minds, our spirit to understand what you want us to understand today? Each of us are coming from a different place. Each of us are coming from a different experience, different thoughts, and and we want right now, Holy Spirit, give us your thoughts so we can understand how you want us to walk with you. Thank you for your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 Awesome. You guys can have a seat. You can have a seat. Whew. There's a lot of do's, do's, don'ts, don'ts, do's in this passage, right? Like, if you read it this week, you're probably like, nah, you know, like, what is happening in this passage? So let me set up the conversation today um, by introducing you to a family member of, of the Broughton family that you, most of you have not met in person, um, and you're like, do you have another kid? What? No, no, no. Um, it's our dog. His name is Abraham Lincoln Broughton. All right, this is Abraham Lincoln Broughton. Um, we call him Lincoln. Uh, we like the name Abraham Lincoln, but that's a weird kid's name, so we didn't do it. We did it to our dog, all right? So... So this is Lincoln. He is a miniature Australian shepherd, and yes, he's as soft as he looks. He's, he's like a big stuffed animal, and he's such a, a loving, obedient dog, um, except for when he's not, all right? 
Because when he was a puppy, you know, when he was a puppy, we were training him. You, you, we would teach him stuff, you know, like sit, you know, stay, leave it, you know, uh, come. All these kind of key, you know, obedient things you want your dog to do. And the thing with Lincoln, like, he was, he was such a cute dog. I mean, he was a, even a cuter puppy, by the way. Like, like he's like, like, make you cry, so cute kind of, you know, thing. And um, when he was younger, he knew he was not allowed to run out the front door. He knew that. He wasn't allowed to do that. But what did he do? Ran out that front door, right? Like that door was open, and he saw something, and he decided, I'm going on a little journey, right? So he, he's like, it's time for adventure. And, and, and so what would we yell? We'd go, stop, stop, Lincoln, come, come. Like we'd start yelling stuff, but he is gone. We live out in the country, okay? And so he, we're out in the country, and he just bolts, and he runs and runs and runs. And so us, he's a, he's a fast dog. He is really fast. So like me running, uh-uh, not going to happen. Like I cannot keep up with this dog. So I get the car. That's the way you roll with a dog that runs faster than you, right? Or you get on the bike. And I did that once and that was exhausting, right? Um, <laughs> so like I, Nikki is more of a runner. She ran like uh, for a long time. And so when we finally get close to the dog that's running away, what do you say? Come, right? Come Lincoln, come. What do you think he did? ran like he's, like he's like no I don't think so he's like stay when you say stay 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 what did he do he kept running right he kept running and running and running until we enticed him enough with a treat to where he's like okay now I'm tired and okay I'm giving up now and he comes and he gets the treat to come back man it's so frustrating right have you ever anybody ever had that experience like chasing okay anybody have to chase your kid that way right like come come like no and they run away all right we have a parenting class available right after. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we don't. So you, you're on your own. Um, so uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now, the thing is with dogs, you think about dogs like, of course, they're going to do that at times. They're going to be disobedient. Now, you would think humans, we know better, right? We're better than dogs. No, we're not. Right? We're not. This is the tension that we started talking about last week. Um, this whole idea of disobedience. There's something inside of a dog when you tell it not to do something that it's like it wants to rebel and try that thing or do that thing. It's the same thing with humans. There was a hotel built in the 1960s in Galveston, Texas. And, and this hotel was built on a pier. Here's a picture. It was built on a pier called the Flagship Hotel. Wouldn't that be like the cool vacation like in the 60s? Like we're like right on top of the water and this is going to be an awesome summer vacation. And so you can see all these balconies on both sides and those balconies look right down to the water. And so the manager was thinking, do you know what? We better put a sign up on every single room right outside the balcony that says, do not fish off of your balcony. Okay? And so they did. They put that sign up there on all the balcony. Like don't fish off this balcony. We don't want anybody fishing. So do you know what everybody did? They fished off that balcony all the time to the point where like they were like putting like the weights on the end of the lines, you know, so it could go down into the water and they would take them and on the bottom floor was a restaurant with glass windows and they would go and they were breaking the windows of the restaurant because they kept trying to fish off of their balcony. And they're like, what are we going to do about this? We can't keep paying to replace these windows. They just keep doing it. And the manager said, do you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to take down all of those signs and see what happens. And that's what they did. They took out all the signs. And you know what happened? Nobody fished off the dock anymore. It's like, wait a minute. You told them not to do it, so they did it. Because this is what our human brains do. When we see something that says don't, we think, well, why not? And that thought might not have been coming in your head like, well, I can maybe fish off of this. But I saw a sign that said don't fish, 
So all I saw was fish. So I'm going to try it, right? It's this thing, it's this rebellious thing inside of us until they like didn't tell them not to do it and then nobody did it anymore. They didn't know not to do it or didn't have a temptation to do it until they were told not to do it. We're going to talk about this tension today. There's this thing inside of all of this, this kind of rebellious spirit that comes out of every single one of us. None of us is exempt from this. Even the Apostle Paul, what we just read, Paul, the Apostle, like the guy, the guy called by Jesus personally to start the church, like to go plant churches all over the place and to, you know, most of the New Testament is Paul, like writing letters and epistles and like that guy is saying, I don't want to do what I should do, and I do what I don't want to do. So if that's where Paul is, just so you know, there should be hope for all of us in this room. Amen? It means we're all on the same playing field. We all struggle with the same stuff. We all have this tension, this sin nature inside of us. Right? This is what it says in verse 15. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I end up doing. He's like, what is going on inside of me? This is what we're learning in the book of Romans. We are free from the penalty of sin, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he removes the penalty for our sin. When we accept him, we confess him, we believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the only way to be with God, we no longer have to pay the penalty of that sin. So we're free from the penalty of sin, but we still struggle with sin. I mean, that old self is still in there doing stuff. That sin nature is still in there like don't, it's like you know, it's like pulling us to do that stuff that we know we shouldn't do. We still have this struggle inside of us. Now if you weren't here last week, I'm going to catch you up, okay? Because last week I used charts. Anybody love the charts last week? Is that helpful? Was that helpful last week for some of you? All right. Not for all of you, but some of you. Okay. Um, because this is what we talked about last week, this whole process that we're called to grow into. We can be saved, but still struggle with sin. And whether we're, we're saved and the penalty of sin has been forgiven, there's still consequences to our sin, even after we're saved, right? And there's consequences to sin uh, that are way de- more detrimental, obviously, before you know Christ. The consequences, number one, he says, is death. Like, sin causes death. When you sin, something dies, right? If you sin against somebody, something dies in that relationship with that person. When you sin against God, something is dying in that relationship with God. That is the biggest consequence of sin, is then eternal death. I mean, eternal separation. Because you are found, like if you don't know Christ, you are found unholy, unrighteous. You pay for your own sin. That's what the consequence of sin is. If you do know Christ, it still causes something to die whether you sin against somebody, it creates a distant relationship with somebody. It, it creates disunity, ultimately like guilt and pain enter into your life because of that sin and that tension that you live in. It's that way with other people. If you sin against somebody, you're going to experience these things, right? When you sin against God, now here's the thing. You can be saved, but still be distant from him. You can have like forgiveness of sins, but God feels far away, and I don't know why, and it might be because you're still living in your old self. You're still living in your sin because that sin is still having a consequence of not letting you be close to God or feel close to God, even though you have the access and the relationship to Him. We don't want the consequences. We want the benefits of being alive in Christ, which is what we talked about last week in chapter 6. The benefits of, of Christ is, is holiness. He makes us holy. The word holy just means set apart from, 
meaning we look different than the rest of the world. The rest of this world is broken, right? Is, are we all in agreement with that? Like, I don't want to look like this world. This world has issues. He says, no, I separate you. I make you different than the world you live in. I make you holy. I give you eternal life, meaning not eternal death, but now life with him forever. That's a benefit of Christ. I have closeness with God. I want that benefit. Keep getting closer and closer to God, which ultimately leads to purpose, God's purpose in my life, and peace, both positional peace, I'm at peace with God, and the feeling of peace. I feel at peace with God and other people because I'm living into Christ who's in me, right? So I, all of us in this room, I would say, don't want to live in the consequences. We want the benefits, amen? Like, this is the way we all want to live. If you don't know Christ today, and you're like, I don't know about this, just, I, I guarantee you, me describing these two, which one would you want? Even if you don't know Christ, that you still want the benefits. This is the gift of God. You can do nothing to get this on your own power. You cannot be good enough to get there on your own. And we're going to understand that a little bit deeper here in just a moment. And so we talked about this in this whole idea of what happens when we accept Christ and then what happens after we know Christ, right? Chapters 1 through 5 are all about being justified, just as if I have not sinned against God. That's the way he sees us. When we confess Jesus Christ, that gap of sin gets bridged through the cross of Jesus Christ. This happens, and then we are saved from the penalty of sin. Hallelujah. We don't have to pay for it. It's done. Penalty paid for. This is a one-time experience. This is positional before God. He positions you as his positions as right before him. And this is God's work for us. This is the gift of God. He's done it for us, which leads us after that being justified, we start to experience this, which is this word sanctified. This is the process of growing, of changing, of letting God do stuff inside of us. This is present, right? This is we're, we're saved from the penalty of sin, but now we're being saved from the power of sin. It doesn't have to control us any longer. This tension of I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I should do, like that whole tension is the process of, of us learning how to be free from the power of that sin that pulls us and drags us, right? So we're learning and growing, and this is a lifelong experience. It's continual, and this is God's work in us. This is this gift of the Spirit we're going to talk about next week in chapter 8. God starts working inside of us to grow us, to set us free in that journey. So, so here's the charts that we used last week to help us understand this. If this is a timeline that way, and if this is us, we're spiritually lost before we know Christ. I mean, we are just living for ourselves. We're living for sin. I'm going to do a cool illustration at the end. It's going to tie all this up. It's going to be awesome, okay? I hope it will be. So... Um, you come to know Christ, and this is the chart. Immediately, you're justified before God. So this is your relationship with God. He sees you as perfect, as forgiven. Until you die and you're glorified, you're in his presence forever. That's the gift, right? So that's immediate when you accept Christ. Sanctified is a journey of ups and downs. Amen? Like, you're not exempt from the broken world you live in. You're not exempt from your sin nature still pulling you away from things. Like, all that is still going to happen, but now you got God with you. I'd rather have God with me than try to do this stuff on my own. And so when you're saved, you go on this journey of peaks and valleys of life where he is growing you and changing you and transforming you. And this is that close-up picture that I used last week. If you have your phone, I always said, you know, take a picture of this one because I don't have time to... This is a whole sermon right here if I, if I had time, okay? 
But this is what happens. You, you accept Christ. You experience sus, uh, justification. Like, you're all right with God now. You get hungry for God and His Word. You learn a new truth through Scripture and through the Holy Spirit and through friends and relationships. And you apply that new truth. You start changing. You get excited about that new truth. And it's like, I'm going to start living a little bit differently. And you rejoice in that because you see God's work in you as you do it, right? There's, there's good stuff. There's the benefits that come as you start to live that way. But then all of a sudden, the sin nature comes back. You struggle with that thing or that issue or somebody sins against you, most likely it's, you're going to sin. And a lot of times people struggle because they're like, but I'm saved. Why am I sinning again? I thought that was gone. But that sin nature is still pulling you, which will hopefully lead you to humility, contrite mind, to be humbled by, I'm not perfect. I still struggle. I want to seek truth about that thing I struggle with. So I get back into God's word. I ask some people and say, help me understand why am I doing this? And with that tr truth, you renew your mind and you put truth on instead of the lie attached to that sin. Like enemy wants to lie to you and say, nope, you're no longer saved. Nope, you can't. God doesn't love you anymore. Like there's all these lies the enemy throws in there. And, and you have to put on truth to say, no, I'm still a child of God. God still loves me. It's just, I messed up. And as you put on the truth, you then confess your sin. You, can, you, you confess to God, and if you sin against somebody else, you confess to the appropriate person. Like, would you forgive me? I sinned against you. The most powerful words you will ever say and the words you will ever hear are, you are forgiven, or I forgive you. Those are the most powerful words. Because when you say to somebody who sinned against you, I forgive you, you have now released them from that sin. When God, and you confess to him, and he says, I forgive you, you are released from that. It's no longer there. That's powerful, y'all. And so then you feel that freedom again and that peace, and you start growing, and, and you, maybe you need to radically amputate whatever that sin issue is. Like, just get it out of your life. Remove it from you, and then you start to apply a new truth, and you start to grow. You're putting off the old self, putting on the new self. You rejoice, and then all of a sudden, something else happens, right? And it's that peak and valley of life that we go through that God uses to grow us up. And he does it in love. He does it by the work of his spirit. He does it with other people in our lives. Like, this is, this is a gift of God to sanctify us, to help us grow. But we still struggle. The struggle's not going to go away until we die. And we get to be glorified. We get to be in his presence forever. That's when it's all, whew, it's done. And this life is like a vapor, right? I want to do my best in it to live for God and to honor God and to let him grow me up. The goal in all of this is when you become a new Christ follower, a year from now, you're going to look different. Two years from now, three years from now, 10 years from now, you're not going to be the same person that you were, right? Because you've allowed God to grow you, to change you, to transform you, okay? So this is this image that we're talking about. So let's, now let's get into our passage for today, okay? In Romans chapter 7. And uh, the, the first few ch verses of chapter 7, I'm not going to go a bunch into that part. He gives this illustration of marriage and then being widowed. He said, like, if, 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 a wife, if a woman is married and her husband dies, she's no longer obligated to him because that marriage contract is done because she's a widow. He's passed away. And so now she can remarry without guilt or anything like that. And this imagery, what he's saying is, for us as Christians, when we are uh, forgiven, we die to sin. I means sin no longer, that contract's broken. We don't have to let it rule in our lives. It doesn't have jurisdiction anymore. It's dead. Now we're, we're married, in a sense, to Christ. Our covenant relationship now is with Jesus, the one that's freeing us. And so why would we want to live for the dead thing 
when we're given something brand new and alive. Does that make sense? So that's that first few verses, just real quick, if you were struggling with that this week as you're reading it. But we're going to dig into this tension that he's talking about. He's talking about the law of God. He's talking about, you know, I do what I don't. I don't want to do, 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 right? He's, he's all, over, all over it with that. Um, so let's, let's hop into it. I'm just going to read verses 7 and 8 and then verse 13 to get us started. All right. So if you're ready, say, yep. yep. Okay. So this is what it says. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law hadn't said, had not said, you shall not covet. So he's quoting, do you know what he's quoting there? One of the Ten Commandments, right? The top ten. Um, can you list all the ten? Who can list all the Ten Commandments, right? So, oh, no, don't raise your hand. Okay, I'm just, most of us can't. We, we made like three or four, like, I, I think it says don't murder in there. So, like, I'm not, I haven't done that. So, woo, you know, like, like don't steal or, or don't commit adultery. And like, like, we know some of the big of the top ten, but he's talking about this one that he saw in the law, the Ten Commandments, don't covet, right? The, the co- don't covet one goes a little deeper than some of the other ones. You look in the whole Old Testament, the Jews, as they were um, in relationship with God, continued to write and build more laws and rules that they had to live by. And those laws got more and more complicated. Like, if you read through the book of Leviticus, your mind will just go, like, I'm glad we don't live in that time, okay? Um, Because there were just hundreds and hundreds of rules and laws that they had to keep through the whole Old Testament to be right with God. And when they weren't right with God, he set up this sacrificial process in worship. So when they sinned, they would put their sin, literally like, like rest their hand on an animal and say, I'm putting my sin on this animal. And they would take that animal as an illustration of death because that's what happens with sin, it dies. And they would sacrifice that animal to pay for the price of their sin. That was all the Old Testament's process. I'm so glad we don't do that today. I mean, we'd have some good barbecue, but I'm just glad we don't have to do that today, right? Um, Jesus was the final sacrifice once and for all. He was the perfect lamb of God. Like, that is done away with. But they had all these rules and all the law. And he's saying, so I didn't know not to covet until I was told not to covet. I didn't know I was supposed to not fish off the balcony until I saw a sign that said, don't fish off the balcony. But when I saw the sign, what did it make me want to do? Fish off the balcony. That's what he's talking about. He said, I didn't know it was sin until I knew it was sin. But when I learned it was sin, I still wanted to do it. Like, it still did something inside of me. So he's like, the law itself isn't bad, but it produces something. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. He's like, then it's like, I knew it. It was revealed to me that I was coveting because I understood it by the law. Uh, Verse 13 says, Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. What is he saying there? He's basically saying this. I didn't know it was sin till I was told it was sin. There was a law in place externally that said, coveting is sin. You shouldn't do that. And once I learned that it was, it revealed unto me that I do that thing. And so that law didn't make me change, but it revealed how sinful I am with that thing, with coveting. So he's like, the law revealed something, 
but it didn't have the power to change anything. This is point number two. You can write this down. Fill in the blank, okay? This, this is what I'm saying, that the law, all the rules, all the religion, all that stuff, the law is just information, is what he's saying. It's not transformation. The external rules and laws that were in place all through the Old Testament, it just informed you of what was wrong. That's all it can do. That's all the law can do. Like today, our world, our country has laws, right? And, and uh, you know, they, they put some of those laws in front of us while we're driving, and it's called a speed limit sign, right? And so here's the law, here's the speed limit, and so we know we're speeding because we see the law right in front of us. It reveals what we're supposed to do, and it often reveals what I'm not doing, right? Like, like it reveals the sin I'm doing when I'm going above that thing. That's all the law is. It's just information. That speed limit sign can't do anything to control you. It can't. It's just there. Does that make sense? And so that's what he's saying. The law is there, and all it does is just reveal when you're wrong. It's just information. That's all it is. It's not transformation. It doesn't do anything inside of you. Something else does that. So the law proves our disobedience, right? That's what it does. It proves our disobedience. It shows that we did something wrong, and it tries to control us externally. It's an external force trying to, like, keep us in line. That's what the rules and that's what the law does. Is there, is there anything wrong with the law? No, that's what he's saying. The law is good. Speed limits are good. Don't murder people. That's the right thing, right? Like, like these are good rules. There's nothing wrong in them, but it reveals what's wrong in us. This is why I say legalism does not work. It doesn't work. Like legalism, like trying to force people to change by a lot of rules, never will work. It can't work. There's no power in the law or there's no power in legalism to free you from anything. All it does is reveal things. That's all it, it, it can't change you. All it does with legalism, when I say legalism, this is what I mean. And this happens still today. It was happening with the Jews in Jesus' day. Read the Gospels when he was trying to confront this legalistic mindset of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the, you know, the religious leaders, like they kept saying, but we've got this and we've got the rules and I read this and I pray this many times. And he's like, but that's not what I'm asking for. It's like, those, that's just rules. That's just the external. You're just trying to show yourself in a certain way, but your heart is far from me. That's still the same reality today. There's still churches that still teach. Get in line, would you? Here's our rules. You've got to keep to our rules. And when you don't, you're going to be shunned in the process. You're going to be guilty because the pastor's going to let you know you should be guilty. You did it wrong. You messed up. You didn't keep the right rules. And you're either going to be kicked out or you're going to be saying, get back in line, right? That's legalism. It's all this external pressure and all it creates is a different kind of bondage. Before we know Christ, we are bonded to sin. We have bondage to sin. We're slaves to sin. It owns us. Like, there's no other thing controlling us. It's me, my mind, and sin. If I don't know Christ, that's my life. I'm living for me. I got my stuff. I'm doing my thing. Guilt might not even be a part of the stuff I'm doing because I don't even know I should be guilty because I don't know any of the rules. I'm just living my life, doing my thing, right? I am bondage to sin. Then I think, oh, I might want to get saved. And so I go to a, somewhere that's like, okay, then keep all of our rules and do this and make sure you don't do that. And you got to wear this kind of clothes and you need to stop doing this. And you get all these rules and you start living by all those rules and you feel like all those rules. Now you're moving from bondage to sin to bondage to legalism. 
It's not setting you free. It's just a different kind of bondage. Keep the rules or go to hell. Keep the rules or go to hell. That's legalism. Doesn't work. The law will not save you. Being good enough will never be good enough for God. You can't get there on your own. So what do we do with this then? What do we do with this struggle of sin? What do we do with the revelation of the way I'm sinning and then trying to be, like, trying to change? Like, what do we do? Let's keep reading, okay? Does this make sense so far? Good, okay. Let's keep reading down the verse 14, down to the end, okay? He says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. That's where I am before Christ. I'm a slave to sin. It owns me. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I um, do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. It's like, I, I agree that I'm saying, I know it's not good. Like, I agree with that rule. It's a bad rule. Or not, it's a bad rule. I'm a bad person. Like, I'm, I'm screwing up in that area. So I'm agreeing with the law that it is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Now this one, the, people think, that sounds like Paul all of a sudden just moved to making excuses. But it's not my fault. You know, like, like I'm sinning, but it's not me really. I didn't do it. Eh. Like, like that's the three-year-old in us that wants to do that, right? Like uh, they did it. You know, like, like we want to like blame other people. He's not blaming other people. He's just actually communicating a reality. And he's like, when I do this, it's not just me doing it. It's the sin in me. Like, it's this nature inside of me that wants to rebel against God. It's that nature still there, even though I'm saved, and I'm still struggling with it. It's not an excuse to keep doing it. For I know the good, it, that good itself is not dwell in me, that is in my sin nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. The struggle is real, right? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, if it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Do, 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 right? Like, and again, it's like, is he making an excuse? No, he's not making an excuse. He's saying it's that reality of that sin nature that's still there, that I'm still wrestling with and struggling with. Let's keep reading. So I find this law at work, and listen to these laws very carefully. There's a law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. So there's God's law, we delight in it, like it's good. But I see another law at work in me. What is this one? Waging war against the law of my mind. So now there's a law of my mind, the way I think about my life, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. So now there's a law of sin. Sin is trying to create rule in my life. So my mind's trying to create rule. Sin's trying to create rule. God's law is trying to create rule. Like all of these things are active. He says, what a wretched man I am. Yes, hear the struggle. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This is the ultimate question. Who's going to free me from this? Thanks be to who? God, who delivers me. Through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the only way. That's the only way to be delivered from this struggle. Thanks be to God. God gifts us something. I'm going to explain it in a moment. We're going to go deeper next week in this. He gifts us something, and he gives us deliverance from this struggle in our life that we go on in it as we grow. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law 
I want that, right? But in my sin nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. So we see these laws at play and the tensions that go through this. Now, I want to have some fun because I want to. I want us to understand this because it still might be complicated. Let me make it as simple as I can. So, um, so let's do this. Uh, I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have my guys and gals come up here. All right. So if you if you're a part of this illustration, come on up, guys. Um, all six of you, hustle hustle on up here. And I changed some signs around. So uh, so get ready for this. So I'm gonna illustrate how this works in reality for us. Okay. And hopefully it's going to make sense. All right, come up uh, to where you guys are. Okay, so Jenny, yeah, you're going to be over here this time. And uh, just come over and stay in this far corner over here. Luke and... So we have the mind, okay? We're waiting for our key player in the story. So Mark's going to come right here. And uh, all right, so we're all set. Um, so, so that this isn't like an actual person. Um, we're, we're making up a friend. So uh, hello, my name is... Hank. Hank. This is Hank. So everybody say, hi, Hank. Hi, Hank. So Hank is our imaginary character that's struggling with this thing that we're talking about, all right? This, this is what's going on in, in his life. Now, we have some characters at play in, in Hank. I was going to say Frank's. So your last name's Frank's. <laughs> Frank, Hank's life. Um, I just don't know why I just put that together. Hank that's Frank. funny. Hanky Frankie. Uh, so we got some, there's a, three parts that we're talking about, three parts to our being that are inside Hank. One is the law of the mind, right? That's what we just read. So there's his mind. This is actually his son, which is funny. So, uh, so this is uh, the mind of Hank trying to think through things. And then before he knows Christ, sin is hanging out, right? Sin is just, you guys are kind of buddies right now, right? So like, so before he knew Jesus Christ, this was life. Hank, mind, sin. He's like, I'm just doing my thing. I'm living my life. I, I do what I want to do because I'm in control and it's fine. Sometimes I do stupid stuff and I hurt people and I say sorry. And, you know, sometimes I don't feel guilt. Sometimes I do, but I'm just kind of living life and just doing my thing and going through life. And then, and then there's this, the third part that's a part of his being that's in him that we're talking about is the spirit, right? And right now, before he knows Christ, the spirit is asleep, all right? So the spirit is he's not active in Hank's life. The spirit's just chilling there, waiting, like the Spirit of God wants to work, but he can't because he hasn't inv- invited God into his life yet, right? But he comes to a point in his life where he keeps hitting the same wall and he's wondering there's got to be something more because this isn't making any sense. None of this over here is really satisfying me. What is more until he finally cries out to God and he says something? What does he say? Thank you, Jesus. So he calls out to Jesus, and all of a sudden, in that moment, the spirit comes alive, right? The spirit wakes up. <sighs> this is the gift of God. This is what we see what happens in salvation. Like, you get the gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins, and then the gift of the Holy Spirit gets awakened inside of you. The Holy Spirit starts to show you who God is inside of you. This is a miracle, isn't it? This is God's gift, a part of salvation. So now the Spirit comes alive in Hank's life, and Hank is starting to learn some things. So these are all internal, but there's this external thing over here. And come, come over, like, right up here with me. This external thing that he's starting to learn about, which is God's law, right? And so he's, he's starting to read the Bible. He's going to church. and like, I'm understanding more about what God would want me to do, and I didn't know it before, and now I do know it. And, and so you're, you're thinking, it's good, right? Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, right? So he's like, thank you, Jesus, for the law, for his word, to learn new things and understand it. But he's still kind of living in this land over here because he's just getting to know God's law. He doesn't know a lot about it, so he's still kind of living for himself. 
And, uh, and he reads, you know, the Ten Commandments. He's like, hey, don't murder. Haven't done that good. You know, don't steal. Uh-oh. And so he asks, I stole once, God, would you forgive me? And God says, yeah, absolutely, I forgive you. Okay, cool, that one's done. And then he reads, don't covet. What is covet? Oh, like, like liking something. And like he loves cars, and all of a sudden this car, a sweet ride, drives in. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> uh, if you don't know, this is his, his wife, Jenny. All right, so, um, <laughs> so the sweet ride comes, and, uh, and he starts to like see, oh, I'm coveting something. I want that sweet ride, right? All right, all right, so you're going to keep driving on by. All right, so the sweet ride drive by, but it's starting to stir stuff, stuff up in him, and, and this is what's happening. Sin is like trying to get a little bit closer, right? It's like, you want that, you want that bad. Like, you, you, like you're getting jealous from that sweet ride because you would love to have that ride, and, and yet you're starting to feel something because you've learned about God's law that, wait a minute. Help me, Jesus. Yeah. So he's like, I don't want this, because you say I shouldn't have it, and I don't want this. And so he calls out to Jesus, and that, that's when the Holy Spirit starts to activate even more. So the Holy Spirit starts doing his thing. What does the Holy Spirit do? Don't covet. Okay, and then what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Also take the mind. <laughs> so the Spirit of God starts to transform his mind, the way he thinks, his life, this, the, the law of his mind is changing because he understands God's law. He is realizing that is sin. Like, I don't want that in my life. It is hurting other people. It's hurting me. It's, it's breaking relationship with God. And so the Holy Spirit starts to become more active and starts pulling them away from that sin. But what's sin trying to do? Yeah, the sin's trying to like pull and draw back. Like, no, no, no. So there's, that's the tension Paul's talking about. What a wretched man I am. That sin keeps kind of wanting to drag me back, but the Spirit's like, no, come with me, and, and lives in that tension, but he continues to call out to Christ. Help me, Jesus. Holy Spirit, work in me. Help me understand how God's law, this external thing, can start to change me internally. There's only one thing that can change you internally, and it is the Spirit of God. We're going to talk more about that next week and what that looks like. But this is, this is the image of what's going on. Okay, is this helpful? Yeah, can we clap for these, these folks? Thank you guys for, <clears throat> for helping illustrate, for illustrating this for us. This, that's the image of the struggle that we go through. That's what Paul is talking about. And, and we need to understand what delivers us, right? So who delivers? Last fill in the blank. God delivers me from my sin. That's what he said. God delivers me through Jesus Christ. It is, it's Jesus who is, saved us and gives us the ability to be transformed, to, to change. So God delivers me from my sin through Jesus, and then he transforms me by his Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God inside of me. is starting to transform me. Where? The inside out. The law can't change a thing in your life. It can just become legalism. It can reveal things in your life to allow the Holy Spirit to change things in your life. So this, this, is what, this is what I said last time. The law proves our disobedience and tries to control us externally, but the Spirit frees us from the law and motivates us internally. That's a better deal right there, isn't it? And this is all based on a loving Heavenly Father 
who's calling you on a journey to freedom, not being in bondage to sin and not being bondage to legalism, but be like set free in your heart from sin, from the power of sin. We're going to take some time just to respond and let God speak to your own heart, your own life this morning. And in a little bit, we're going to take communion as, as a response, which is perfect because communion is for us as Christians, this is the representation of the cost for our freedom, right? Christ's body and blood broken and shed for us. He paid for this, for us to have this. And Pastor Jim's going to lead us in a moment in that. But for us in the room, I don't know where you're at today. If this struggle for you, you're like, yeah, Tim, this is a daily struggle for me. And maybe you're like deep in the struggle. Maybe there's a sin issue in your life. You just just keep coming back. You can't, like, why am I struggling with this? Some people struggle with the same thing their whole life. And that puts a heavy dependence upon God, which is not a bad thing. You just have to keep coming back to him and ask for forgiveness. And the thing is, the moment you ask for forgiveness from God— it's done. He will forgive you immediately. Boom. Clean slate relationally. Like you already have salvation, but now clean slate relationally to be with him, to feel closeness with him, to walk with him, right? So let's just take a time just to respond. The lights are going to kind of go down a little bit. And let's just, I want this time to be between you and God, okay, in this time. God, I pray that you would just just kind of open our hearts this morning as I believe you already have been. You've already been starting to work and, um, and wanting to work in us. I pray for those who are Christ followers in the room. They've already experienced salvation. They are starting to walk with you. They've been walking with you a long time, but they still know this reality of what Paul's talking about to us, that they are still struggling with sin. And maybe today it's somebody in this room that just has a, just a specific issue over and over and over again that you want to set them free from. Holy Spirit, would you just release it right now in the name of Jesus Christ? You want to do that, and um, 